Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Cleansing Protection Magic, binaural production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Dr. Richard Allen Miller, and we are also accompanied by my co-host, Jared Murphy. Thank you both for coming on today. Um, That's great. Thanks. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Oh no, it's up, Richard. It's so it's so great to talk to you again. I'm so looking forward to it. It's always awesome to have you on the show. Thank you. Yeah, uh, your sound is great. Uh, your sound, Gary, is muted or or or. Uh, I don't know why I'm getting, not getting a very good clear on you. Right, right. I understand. It'll clear up. So um, we're here to talk about the Lon local Lon local mind, right? Your new book that's coming out. I just sent it in for a first print yesterday, and uh, I tell you, man, um, that was this has been the hardest thing for me to do. Even last-minute changes on things—it's just crazy. It's as if something were dogging it not to happen. You know, hmm. I was planning to have this out last year. So. Really? Yeah, but Nick Begich did the forward on this. Uh, he's the one that wrote Angels Don't Play This Harp. His brother and his father were senators in Alaska. And Nick uh, is also the patron on this book, making making sure it would happen. I sent you a copy of his foreword so that you can see. He's the one that brought me back into writing. He brought me up to Alaska. We were going to do a book together called The Brain Spa. and. Mm -hmm. He did not have the technical background to do it, so I ended up writing Power Tools, which was the second book in this series, the Power Tools series. Right. So with non-local mind in the holographic universe, how, what, how did, what inspired you to write this book? Like, what was it? In 1972, I, Burt Webb, Darden Dixon, and I co-authored a paper called a holographic concept of reality. That same year, uh, Gabor went to Stockholm for a Nobel Prize on his work on the hologram, which was a lesser concept than what the holographic concept of reality was about. And over the years, 47, the last 47 years, I have become more insightful on what I actually wrote back then. That's why the military always used me. I was somehow, according to Krippner, whom this book is dedicated, he's my mentor, by the way, right. Dr. Stanley Krippner. He, um, Krippner, was the one that introduced me to Edgar Mitchell in 1970 so that I could be at Mission Control in 1971 to do the ESP studies for the NASA and with Ed Mitchell. Mm -hmm. And then in 1972, mm -hmm. 
Seal Corp out of Amherst hired May to develop a protocol, series of protocols for a selection of what you now call super soldiers, um, which later became Seal Corporation, became Navy SEALs. And the first protocol used the information I discovered in 71 to select SEAL Team 2, uh, SEAL Team 1 in um, in 1972, um, measuring their intuition. Back in 1971, ESP and hypnosis were considered pseudosciences. Mm -hmm. Today, we know about hypnosis being a very powerful tool for pain control and other kinds of altered states. But extrasensory perception was not known as a science back then Whereas today we call it intuition, thinking with the gut. Mm -hmm. When you go on instinct, you do not make mistakes by definition. And that was why the SEAL team one was selected for their intuition, not their intelligence. They, one of the other criteria was that there was redundancy. Everybody could do everybody else's job so that no one was indispensable and we could cover each other in radio or whatever we were doing. I trained uh, SEAL teams two and three. I lost my arm. Uh, this arm here is all bionic in Cambodia. It's about four inches shorter. There's no bone in it. Hmm. I can't pick my nose, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's kind of cool. Um, so all these years, Dr. Krippner, it's then the one that introduced me to uh, uh, Dr. Carl Slyker, MRU. He was, uh, that was a joint project between Navy Intelligence and CIA. And Schleicher was the model I used when I did the early X-Files for Fox. The only reason I didn't continue writing those was that they were going in a direction of UFO, which I had no background in. Mm -hmm. I had... Um, Let's see, what is it? I had, uh, they used me back then in the studies of paranormal phenomena because, did you want, did you need to ask something, Jared? I'm sorry. Your yeah. screen went full and so it's like your <laughs> hand number. <laughs> well, I didn't know. Oh, okay. Well, back then, we knew about aliens, but we, this was the space race. I got we to really back you up for a second and say, Sure, go ahead, yeah. You're on mute, Jared. Oh yeah, now I'm unmuted, right? You, yep. can, you, can, you can hear me, right? I can hear oh, you. Oh yeah, yeah, no, we're here, we're good. Yeah, so, well I wanted to back, I don't know, we didn't, I, I'm sorry, Richard, we got it, I'm sorry, but we got to back up and I know it's not totally the point, but how did the arm go away? Oh, I, <laughs> I came out of the jungles with 200 pieces of bone in my arm. It was, frag it was fragmented from a fall. And um, I had to walk out of the jungle without allowing myself to go into shock. And uh, carried, carried out my arm and they, it's mostly uh, titanium. There's two rods and a wire strap for an elbow. <laughs> I have carpal tunnel uh, with my little finger because there's uh, scar tissue now inside pressing on the nerve that affects the whole arm. But, and they've tried surgery on that and I'm just, right, I'm that's 70. Just, that's just that's just amazing, but that, I know we're not 
we're not we're built we're building up our base i'm super fascinated about the book so sorry we can continue i just want to right, yeah no i'm trying to give you some perspective on this now the reason i originally was interested in a holographic system of reality was that quantum mechanics um, took what is basically uh, a, part, a wave and converted it into a particle. That today is called the proton cloud. The space between where a proton is a particle and when it becomes a wave. And that's where the multiverse lies. And the reason we needed something that based on information and resolution of information over measurements of time and space is that Heisenberg and his uncertainty principle is that the more you know about one thing, like the position of the electron, the less you know about something else. And so there was always a trade-off going from analog to digital. And what the holographic concept was to overcome that was closer toward real understanding of what space and time were and what they were not. There are constructs in man. Space is not what you think it is. And I can talk about that in a minute. But so why the holographic system is limited is that the math that's used is um, um, fractals. And fractals, again, can be looked at as, as digitizing from an analog. That means uh, you had generators. Mendelbrot, Julia, May, there's a whole series of generators, but they're unique to themselves. And that suggested that information was also limited in terms of, you know, what it is and what it is not. Now, what does that mean? Well, there is a theorem in information theory that states, if you have enough information to ask a coherent question, you have enough information to answer it. Mm -hmm. That means it's a closed system. And that means there's limitations like Heisenberg with quantum mechanics. And that is leading me to write a new field theory this next year with two Russians. Uh, that will supersede the holographic concept of reality. Now, we, I've been writing this book for, oh, I first proposed the book about six years ago when the ESP book came out in the first of the series. Power tools for the 21st century were the eight protocols that I used to select SEAL Team 1 and they were training them. And uh, one of them was uh, learning how to use uh, continuous breathing, control of breath. When you can control your breath, you can control your perception of time. And one of the things that that did is takes uh, martial arts to a paranormal level. Your quality of boxing allowed me to be double world champion in double sword one year when we boxed in Peking. I could, I, if, if I had two swords, I, you couldn't even take me with a bow. So that, those were the kinds of things that I was trying to train SEALs on to make them capable of doing things that normal human beings can't. Right. And thinking with the gut, where mm -hmm. instinct, uh, you know, 
you don't make mistakes when you come from that place. And that was the first protocol. Later, when Navy took over with SEAL Team 4, uh, things changed. And now it's more grunt and, you know, pretty much like it always was. But the original SEAL Team 1 were all still standing. And uh, so the holographic concept of reality was to write about what your mind is and what it is not. And what I discovered, oh, chapter 7, for example, is called Time Travel and the True Nature of Cavitation. Our, everything that humans do is based on cavitation processes. You have two brains, we have two suns, we have in the center of our galaxy, we have a white hole, at the other end there'll be a black hole. It's always been in cavitation. And so that's the place which made us God's favored. The, the idea that we had science and religion, the two opposite ends of, of the brain in terms of making choices every moment. And what we discovered was that the brain can be seen as a second gut. That means the neurotransmitters, and this was what broke the Russians uh, into getting into this thing with me, is that Max Rempel made a major breakthrough last year on the, on the proton cloud in proving that neurotransmitters in the brain were resonant cavity oscillators acting very much like bacteria does in the gut. And there's a hierarchy of dialogue. And Leary uh, used neurologic circuits. That's why the book has eight chapters based on his neurologic circuits. Again, I'm pointing out that it's digitized because there are as many different neurotransmitters in your brain as you will find in the gut. I mean, we're talking about thousands of them. We only talk about eight of them, like dimethyltryptamine and methamphetamine. Methamphetamine and related brain structures of chemistry allow super strength. I witnessed a woman rip a car door off when it was in flames, trying to save her daughter. And that's impossible. The adrenaline does not make her bone and skin muscle stronger than steel. How could she do that? And that's where the non-local mind goes, because the brain can be seen as a second or hierarchy of gut that is dialoguing with the multiverse. And when you go into these altered states, basically, the laws of physics change. Hmm. And that's what we're, that's what the book is about. Chapter five is titled Synchronicity, where nothing happens by chance. Everything that happens, you've caused it to happen, whether you realize it or not. And the key is to try to come from a place of purpose instinct as opposed to intent, reason, wounding, and why you're actually here doing this storyboard. Um, you, you, it's, it's a metaphor. It's beyond 
comprehension like an alien. Is an alien from a planet Neptune? Well, is Neptune real? I, in space, for example, I know that I watched astrology become astronomy. And in Prague, back in the 70s, they came up with the next evolution, which was called cosmobiology. Yanov had written a book on the lunar sex cycle of the female, that when she's born, a phase angle is you know, put into the genetics for when she ovulates. And um, if she moves to a different part of the Earth, that ovulation cycle changes, which means you have a birth control possibility. And the one I did, the study I did under Dr. Carl Schleicher, was the Department of Interior uh, out of Menlo Park at that time, uh, hired us to vet uh, the fact that when the planet Uranus is in a certain geometric alignment with Earth and the Sun, a major earthquake will happen. And what I did is I went back using a 360 all the way back in history to vet and discovered there was a three sigma error coefficient on that. That means that when that alignment occurs, there is a 99.9975% probability that that major event is occurring. And even today, people like Suspicious Observer do not use that protocol to determine whether or not, you know, yeah, they work mostly with sunspots and things like that. But Uranus in astrology is the higher octave of Earth. And that's one of the reasons why it was astrology and then became astronomy as our concepts of space evolved, like our concepts of time is evolving. The problem is we have no known laws on how Uranus can possibly affect planet Earth in, you know, in its positioning. And that's what I meant about the limitation in our understanding of what space and time are. Uh, I have a whole chapter in, on time in, in uh, chapter 7. Chapter 8 in the non-local mind is the mind's eye where imagination becomes reality. And that's why I've stated man has a responsibility for the thoughts he chooses to entertain. It's not about physics and it's not about religion. It's about your belief systems and what you can envision in your mind's eye is real. And that anything you could imagine God could do is what you are capable of doing right now and even more. And that's less than halfway to what God is. And the metaphor I would use for that is imagine what a farmer in England 100 years ago might think about what you and I are doing right now, looking at each other and dialoguing with each other over right. long distance. And, and that's just a hundred years of technology. Imagine an alien race with hundreds of thousands of years. You can't comprehend it. In no. fact, in fact, there are mammals on this planet that actually can be seen as having higher technologies than man. Orca, for example, has access to nine-tenths of the biosphere, where man has access to only one-tenth. Who's superior? 
And then I would point out on hive consciousness, an ant colony, how many ants are on your property? <laughs> Who's terrifying it more? Well, look, I mean, you know, it's what you choose to notice. I thought that Dolphin had a language. When I worked for Carl Slagan back in the 70s, he took me into Lily's labs at Berkeley, and I thought it was a form of Clifford algebra. You know, the, the clicks and whistles were a type of, of language. I was wrong. It turns out Dolphin don't have a language. They're sending pictures, thousand words in a burp. Now, we didn't even, even with the holographic concept that I conceived of, I didn't catch that one back then when I was, you know, we're limited. I saw uh, one alien for the government at Groom Lake and have no memory of what happened. And only just recently are some of those doors opening where I have minor glimpses of what actually happened. One door opened about four months ago. I met Krill. I went to Groom Lake. They dropped me down to eight floors, level eight, what they call level eight. And there was this tall gray. And that's what led me to do the work with Alan Frey on synthetic telepathy. I couldn't understand how this alien could be talking inside my head without voices. And it isn't that at all. But the door that did open is that this entity was using emotions as a language. And that 20 minutes of language like that, not like our dream states, it's like similar to dream states, but they're different. The content is like a lifetime of information in wow. just 20 minutes. I mean, I, I, it's just staggering. And I, and that's just one door of all of the 20 minutes of doors. They have a film of it. They tried debriefing me for over two weeks trying to understand because we just stood there and nobody knew what happened. I just, something happened. And I don't know what it is that's led me to this moment writing the, what I'm doing with non-local mind. What I'm going to do is try to describe what the multiverse is in regards to the possibilities of what the non-local mind is. And if time isn't real, and it's not, what does that make your son? And there's those kinds of questions. Now, physics, in my humble opinion, will not get us there. It'll get you close. Like Simon says, you can go halfway to the door. At some point, you're going to get real close to the door. But that, by definition, you can't get there because, you know, we start with concepts, conceptualizations in our mind's eye, like the shortest distance between two points, and then the Earth's round. But if space is curved, I can prove it's flat. Which one is it? And the correct answer is yes. If you choose to look at something this mm -hmm. way, then you have these doors available, if you choose to look at them that way, then you can go there. And the thing is, where do you want to go? Because anything goes. Does that, <laughs> does that mean like, um, if anything goes, does that mean that any type of probability is already happened or occurred somewhere or some point in time? That's what the multiverse says. When you take strings 
and your time. I'm going to be using a virtual form of Kaufman's math um, on that, on that theory. Uh, that, that appears to be the most equipped system for mathematics that we have at this mm -hmm. point. I don't know that, but that's what I'm finding. And, you know, knot theory has been around since the early 1900s. Millions. All right. Hey, Gary, I got, I got a question if you don't have another one right now. Oh, go ahead. Uh, Richard, can you back up for people on the mind's eye and, and creating? We've talked before, but I think it's very important is that there are different people with different belief systems around the world, you know, whether it's Christianity yeah. or Buddhism. So how much truth do you think is in or what do you think can be manifested that if you believe in a demon if you believe in an angel if you believe in a buddha how much of that mind's eye through collective consciousness creates something do you think that there's a reality absolutely to it and and it's that's what made us god's favored was the diversity of choice in in just this brief interview you personally probably have gone through at least 20 altered states of consciousness and well, each one well i mean you, you they're subtle just like and there's quantized steps going from alcohol to tobacco and and going from tobacco to dimethyltryptamine and the highest one according to uh larry was ketamine and uh, but like on dimethyltryptamine, when you smoke dimethyltryptamine five alpha that Steve Blake developed in in San Francisco, that is like a mushroom, psilocin, normal biosystem. Those are toxins. What makes them unique in shamanism and and altered states was that they have a chemistry very similar to, but different than the neurotransmitter. The neurotransmitter that's related that Rick Strassman and others would be studying is N comma N hyphen dimethyltryptamine, different than 5-alpha. And it's what happens is when the brain sees this toxin entering the body, this is a, this is a theory uh, that we're writing, a bunch of Russians and I, the brain immediately freaks out and the immune system kicks in and starts generating its correct chemistry. And that's where you have the altered state, the mushroom high, the LSD high, the lysergic acid diethylamide is gone in the, in the urine within 20 minutes of ingestion. And the next 20 hours of hallucinations is from the brain's own production of lysergic acid amides, plural. There's a bunch of them. And uh, that's what I'm trying to say. And each one of those dialogues with a subtle body in the, in the multiverse. And that means that we have the possibilities of evolution right now, including um, uh, immortality. Now, I've written three new books that are following. It's, they're advertised in my non-local mind. Is the Diamond Body, Electromagic, and Yogatronics. And the Diamond Body is the work I did in discovering the concept of cymatics in 1974 
when we started working with biofeedback and changed it into video feedback using um, emu and uh, bukla uh, synthesizers. And that's when I discovered that sound and color affect biological processes uh, as a feedback system, uh, which we in 1974 called cymatics. And that's the work I did with Buckminster Fuller, the diamond body. 1979, I then used Mora and Indomet German acupuncture equipment to bypass the need for drugs in jump-starting the brain using electric currents on the top of the forehead. I broke code and could talk directly to a neurotransmitter and get its release, which means I could stimulate using electric currents on the forehead uh, any drug high that you could possibly imagine. And I did that in 1979. And then in 1983, uh, I wrote a book called Yogatronics, which shows me, and the cover is a little boy on Mars creating my own wormhole without the need for CERN. What we call that is sacred geometry being, you know, visioned in your mind's eye to create resonant cavity oscillation and the release of specific neurotransmitters that allow you to do anywhere in space, creating your own wormhole. Those are books that are due out this next year. I'm writing The Diamond Body right now, getting it ready to sequel now on The Non-Local Mind. And I haven't even begun to tell you where I am right now. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, I, I've always been a bit ahead of the curve, but I'm not any different than you. What I'm going to try to say is, I am discovering there are many different kinds of intelligence. And uh, I'm just one kind, I, but there's many kinds. And just my girlfriend, Joy, can touch you. Um, we're going to have to hold for a second. That's John Day, and I'm just going to let him know that I'm on radio right now and I can't talk. Thank that basically she can touch you anywhere on your body and know where you're hurting somewhere else. She's an empath, uh, one that I would study in a laboratory. I mean, she's incredibly sensitive that way. And each of us, because of the choices and belief systems, allow certain realities. And that's one of the reasons why I have a whole chapter in this book non-local mind on how to change a belief system like you would a pair of clothing. Because a belief system is not absolute, it's supposed to be a tool to take you where hey, you want to go. Richard, I gotta ask you then, right at this point, I have to ask you, if do you believe in all your experience, is there a, if you were to extrapolate, not from an existing belief system, or include, including a bel existing belief system, is there a way to be most effective in manifesting uh, or shaping your personal life experience, whether it's uh, longevity, yeah. wealth, or yeah. is, is there an optimal way you would go at it? Well, that's why all your saints in history, your true masters, have stressed the importance of training the mind, meditation. You say, we're all over the place. And about the time you start to create a thought, Another thought comes in, and in my extrasensory perception, it is the repetition of a thought 
that causes the psychic energy or psionic field to create. And so if, if you can't hold a thought long enough, then you go back and do it again. And you do it again until at some point an energy is created that is moving. And that's why I said again, man has a responsibility for the thoughts he chooses to entertain because that's what creates this reality. Well, on an on, so on an individual level, so it does matter. The more the more you have negative thoughts, or the more you're uh, believing in a, a particular yeah, like uh, a woman thing, you end up dating the same kind of woman again, that kind of thing. Yes, and what you have to do is be very careful. Is your glass half full or is it half empty? And mine is overflowing. I even have a quote from Bruce Lee in in the book. It's interesting, I have another picture of that Peter First and I did catching Don Gennaro actually flying, showing you the possibilities in terms of your belief systems and what you can do paranormally. Hmm. That's so fascinating. So the uh, so how how is there a particular methodology to identify or is there a particular Okay, and what you're asking is, I'm going to say it this way. All roads lead to Rome, but you need a North Star to know what direction you're going. So all systems work. And they may not work in this lifetime, so what? You know, at the mo and this is also in my book, at the moment of death, there's a five gram weight loss in the body, and it's not urine. What is it? And I'm suggesting... It's microtubules with structured water and memory water. There's a whole chapter on, on structured water in Jerry Pollock's work. Jerry was my lead at the University of Washington in 1970. So I'm quite familiar with all of these metaphors. And five grams of memory water is enough memory storage capacity for 100,000 lifetimes as a metaphor. And so... You, it's the ability to conceptualize. The near-death experiences also described in my book talk about conceptual things that Kubler-Ross and James Hillman talk about in terms of similarities. I got to spend two weeks in the jungles with Eben Alexander and talking about his near-death experiences. And there's something else going on here, and we're not getting it yet. And that's the part of when you just keep getting coming back like a video game or matrix until you do. Because time isn't real anyway. What does that mean when you start talking about epochs and the appendices? What does that mean? But do you think the it ties into this? Well, and we talked about this before. Does it tie into that Carillion aurora around you? Does it tie into uh, well, a collective I, I, consciousness? Yes, I wrote the early, I did, that's what brought me in 1970 is I did the physical mechanisms of Carillion photography and that led to Dr. Bender, one of my professors at Pullman, to then invent the MRI. The original Carillion form was secondary emission of electrons where they're ionizing gases that are being released at different points on the body. The operacan glands that you know under the armpits and things like that. We felt there might be a way to determine internal states without having to do invasive 
uh, blood sampling and taking tissue culture or whatever. They'd be able to just, you know, ionize the field around you and then be able to determine what's going on internally. That led, that Crowleyan concept, which is a, a mass of separating data, led to the MRI, where we worked with a magnetic spin rather than just ionization. And, uh, but that's what brought me to New York in 1970, when I actually did the physical mechanisms. That book, uh, you'll find that material in Galaxies of Consciousness by Gordon and Breach. Dr. Stanley Krippner was the editor of that. And that's where Ed Mitchell has an article in there, a couple of uh, David Bressler, others. Bressler is the one that started the acupuncture clinics in San Francisco. So it's not Corellian, but like an aura, there's fields within fields. And that's where the resonance of dialogue moving one step up from one bacteria to the next, talking to create a resonance of, of fields. Gaia, our Earth, uses mycelium. And the forest has a mother tree. The oldest tree will send a signal out through the mycelium notifying the rest of the forest of an impending forest fire or, uh, uh, or an earthquake or something that's happening like an event horizon in, in solid state physics. When an event happens at one end of the crystal, the other side of the crystal has a precursor wave that goes through the crystal. That was what I did my master's on showing in physics at Delaware, uh, showing that uh, uh, there's an event horizon that's about to happen. It's outside space-time, just like the gut is. Just like the neurotransmitters are in the brain. And when you learn how to meditate and focus, that's when you can do almost anything you want. If you want immortality, I showed how to regenerate nerve tissue. I wrote a technical paper with, um, um, oh gosh, I forget his, Robert O. Becker. Becker had gotten a Nobel Prize, and then we did a paper on how to regenerate nerve tissue. And that's my knee. I had a crushed perineal. I had drop foot. It took me four and a half months to regenerate nerve tissue at my knee. At, and it was done with meditational exercises using the third eye and that chill that goes up and down the spine. That chill, that, that chill is dimethyltryptamine being released. And what it is, it's a bunch of little philia on the central nervous system that send a signal up and down the spine. And that bandwidth that it's in is in the visible light region. And if you get your back straight, you can take that light and stimulate the pineal gland, which then sets up resonant cavity oscillation in the neural cavity that allows you to regenerate nerve tissue. Dr. Ward Dean, uh, Surgeon General for the Marine Corps, wrote a book called Biological Aging Mechanisms, Clinical Approach. And what he proved was that every single concept we have of aging by different universities, every single one of them is reversible. 
Now, how you know you're becoming younger, the way your body tells you that is goosebumps. That's when you, that's how your body tells your consciousness that it's generating stem cells. And if you focused on that, what age do you want to be? So does there become a problem if for the people who say that they have the pineal gland being in quotes calcified? Is there a way to work around it? Is it like, well, that's the way you, that's the way I did it. I uh, calcified mine by stimulating it. Uh, the calcification, the pineal gland originally was in all mammals as a gland to regulate the body to seasonal changes. Shortest day, of shortest light period, it was light sensitive. Uh, we find that on certain kinds of lizards and so on. But because manna uses a lot of artificial light now, it calcified it. It's no longer being, you know, stimulated by long days, short days. Even right now, you'll start to notice as the seasons are changing, how your body is needing to change also. And that's what the that was the primary purpose of the third eye was to regulate the body to seasonal changes. That's a part of a paper that I incorporated in the non-local mind called the biological mechanisms of the third eye of the pineal gland. And the it, it is calcified, but you can stimulate that just using that chill up and down your body. And if you get your back just right, you can actually feel it. It'll get warm back there, just below the inion on the back of your forehead, of, of your back of your head. There's this big bone, and just below that is where the third eye is. And what you're trying to do is get that chill. That you you can do that even just with your mind's eye. That's the release of dimethyltryptamine. And again, it's the mind's eye that does it. When you visualize that in your mind's eye, you practice it. And you get better and better at it. Imagination is reality. I want to give that a try. Kind of cool, huh? Yeah, yeah. I want to make myself a little bit younger. <laughs> well, it gives you direction on what you need to do yeah. to start prepping yourself for the next generation of people, mm -hmm. uh, which is what going to be you, uh, because this isn't real here. And that's the other part of it. Reality or consciousness, more likely, is a shared dream state. There are actual dream states like lucid dreaming that have more content to reality than consciousness does. So there you are. You have choices. And that's what makes us uniquely distinct from each other. And everybody's belief is slightly different. The reason you go to church is that you try to find a group, Taliban, whatever, that have belief systems that you aspire toward. And you work with fellowship to get better at that given belief system. However, all of us are uniquely distant, di distinct, and I would say there are as many churches in reality as there are human beings. Each one of us is just slightly different. And we uh, have social, as opposed to natural law, that would be Hobbes and Kant, you know, trying to 
create order or out of chaos by giving up some of your natural rights for civil law. That's Hobbes and Kant that talk about that. And at what level do you draw a line? It's different for each of us. Hmm. Richard, do you think that, I uh, just dropping back on the pineal gland for a minute, do you think that drugs like all the serious cocktails over the last period, uh, like ayahuasca, do you think that's a problem that those are drugs that feel like steroids for bodybuilders? Is it the Did wrong Did you know that your voice now is changing? I can, hold on, Jared, Jared, your voice started doing echoing with frequency tones, and it, it was no longer words for me. You need to, uh, oh, I don't no. know what you were doing differently it, with it, your speaker, but you need to change that. Just go ahead and re-ask your question, please. Um, do you think ayahuasca is like a uh, bodybuilding, uh, you know, steroid? It's yeah. an artificial and, and a hindrance? Well, here's my response or, on that. So, you know, ayahuasca is not necessarily dimethyltryptamine because when Dimey Church is at war with the other one, how spiritual can that be? Now, that's where the church becomes like the Catholic Church. The use of ayahuasca, ayahuasca did not exist 10 years ago, 20 years ago, excuse me. I have friends on uh, David Winkleman, uh, Michael Winkleman is on the Amazon right now doing studies on that very thing. Um, I went down the Amazon almost 40 years ago and met, you know, sorcerers that were using uh, different plants that contain dimethyltryptamine. Ayahuasca is a formula of a group of plants, some of which have no dimethyltryptamine in it. So which one's real? And it's like the Catholic Church. I became a hermetic Kabbalist studying with Gershom Sholem when I came out of grad school because at that time, like ESP and uh, uh, hypnosis, magic was a no-no word, magic with a K, and I realized that magical orders in Europe for the last 400 years was reserved for the ultra-elite of, of Europe. You had uh, William Wynne Westcott and, uh, I mean, you know, all your fine writers, mm -hmm. your different writers and so on, from all different kinds of philosophies were part of a magical order. And because metaphysics, meta means beyond. And so what you're doing is going beyond the physical universe. And as a physicist, of course, I was extremely interested in the importance of, of the fact that physical world is not what we think it is. It's what we presume it is or make it in our mind's eye. And it's like that movie Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. At the beginning of the movie, she comes rolling out on stage and sings, Anything Goes. <laughs> I mean, you pick, pick, pick a universe. How do you want to play it? The Taliban is a 
offshoot of Sunni and Muslim beliefs, just like Satanism is an offshoot of Christianity. It's it's a perverted form, not necessarily, you know, little boys and people using the foreskin, what is that, adenochrome, uh, you know, to make themselves younger, when in fact, you can do it with your mind's eye. And I told you, it's goosebumps. If you want to generate stem cells, that's how you do it. You envision goosebumps and watch how you get better and better at goosebumps. And when you do, watch what's happening to your dermatology and your skin. I got rid of a whole bunch of this. I, you know, as I was getting older, I had all this little weird skin stuff happening. Hey, Richard, all... I'm sorry? Richard, do you feel like your new book, do you feel like that this whole this almost prequel, this preceding theory of, do you see this driving any other sciences immediately in a new direction? It's going to um, open doors in technology like the holographic concept did over quantum mechanics. When I took quantum mechanics, it was called modern physics. And then it became quantum mechanics and quantum consciousness. And now they're talking about holistic movement and holonomics, you know, with, uh, it's just, we will flow. I have seen technology being practiced that we don't have in this century. For example, I went to Tibet um, to verify film and document for Carl Schleicher, the Buddhists up there, the Tibetan Buddhists, have these big long horns that they use to communicate in deep language. You know, and they blow these big long horns. I saw them put 17 of them in a certain geometry and it so compressed the air that large objects were able to float on the compressed air and you could move it with a single finger. I saw that, we documented that, and where is that technology? Man and what technology is, is we talk about epochs and the epoch of fire, tapasia, uh, electricity, microwave, uh, fire. Uh, but we had one of water, and we've, you know, I don't know what it all means. I'm just like you, trying to sort it out with very strong background in science. And, I mean, I have several doctorates in, in different aspects of physics. I have two doctorates, and, and uh, just in physics. And I know I don't know. I mean, you know, it doesn't work like that. It's um, technology. It's like when Star Trek had the replicator. Now we have 3D printers. And the 3D printers are printing hearts and organs now. Imagine where that can go in the next hundred years, like we're talking to each other in ether where a farmer in uh, England wouldn't even be able to grok what mm -hmm. we're doing. 
How can you do that? Is that ESP? That's mysticism. It's magic. That's why, you know, Arthur C. Clarke and others said that, you know, magic is simply uh, another generation's technology because it's about the mind's eye. It's not about physics. And that's what my book is about. So is, is that where, where is that where like the immortality could possibly come from for us? We already have it. We just don't realize it because we're asleep in a shared dream right now. What do you think death is? Think it's the end of everything? That's what my parents thought. Well, I think it's the beginning. Well, or another beginning, or you know, you're <laughs> you get to go home from mm -hmm. you wake up. That is a, another metaphor. So I, I don't know. You know, it's the ability to conceive of it in your mind's eye. That's where reality occurs, and reality isn't real. <laughs> Even though it's capital R, you know, it's a shared dream. Like, if I can wiggle my hips enough, you're going to believe it, you know? And I wouldn't have seen it if I hadn't have believed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the way it is. That is exactly the way it is, as written and seen and experienced by a physicist with a track record. I know I don't know, and anything goes. Mm. I have a question about like the non-local mind theory. Is my mind in my gut? Is it in my cell cells? Is it in my brain, or is it somewhere out there? And the correct answer is oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> all of the above. Yes, your gut turns on your mind. What's in your gut determines what gets turned on in your mind. What gets turned on in your mind is different for each of us because each of our guts are different. That's why modern medicine doesn't work because one size does not fit all. What is healthy for you is not healthy for me. And that's determined by what you eat and what's in your gut, the kinds of bacteria there. Same thing with neurotransmitters. You start absorbing these kinds of thoughts, and now you have access to those universes. That's mm. exactly correct. So, so can I consciously shift from universe to universe? I do. And I am have no idea what I'm doing yet. I'm kind of like um, a sea scout that's yeoman on a cruise that we did from Seattle up to Alaska. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned on whether we get there safely or not. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm trying to navigate and leave footprints for your grandson to pick up where I left off. Hmm. That's how it's going to work. Have you have you changed your meditation method at all with this all this in mind? I mean, do you yes. change as you experience? I where, have, where are you where, where are you at with that? Yeah. I started with Satmat, S-A-N-T-M-A-T. Some people start with uh, Ananda Marga, <coughs> I don't know, uh, hypnosis. There's all roads lead to Rome. Mine, my meditation started at third eye. And what happens is 
by Simron and Budgeon. Simron is where you do a series of names. I'm not going to give you my names because then I've initiated you and I have to take on your karma. But it'd be like, noho ringi keo, noho ringi keo, noho ringi keo, bang, bang, bang. And then you stop and you listen with your right ear. And that's where Terence McKenna, others have talked about zero point energy, the Shabbat, S-H-A-B-D, the sound current, the serpent at the end of the rainbow singing the lost chord. I hear it even right now. And once you start doing that, if you focus on that, what happens is you leave the body, not like astral projection, it's called soul travel, that, uh, oh, Ekankar. Paul Twitchell and Ekankar and others kind of talk about where you leave your body and you go home for a brief moment. Um, my teacher, Sharon Singh, called it Die to Live. That's what he wrote a book on. He wrote Die to Live. And it's called The Little Death, where there's not the loss of ego, but ego gets placed as a survival coefficient. It goes into a small corner where it rightly belongs. It's not eliminated, but it isn't as dominant as it would be in consciousness for survival. Hmm. Did that make sense? It, it makes a lot of sense to me because... Well, I'm trying, and it's going to sound differently mm -hmm. to each one of you that's listening to my voice. Each of us gets something different from what I'm saying. And that's okay, because it isn't what I'm saying that's the truth. It's your realization of it. And that's you making yes. it real. Right. And that's where it all lies, right there in your right. mind's eye. Right. That's chapter eight. And let me tell you, I think that this book is possibly the most important thing I've written. And I'm excited to share these ideas and see what happens to people and what we that's can do toward the evolution of consciousness. That's really amazing. Where where do you where do you where is it gonna be available? Uh, on my website, plus I'm seeking uh, literary agents to place them in different bookstores, which I haven't done before. I've been hacked. Something is trying to stop me at every orifice. Amazon is right now printing a bunch of my other titles without permission. There's a mass market edition of The Modern Alchemist out of Texas, and that guy is selling to 20 people on Amazon that are selling it new. And they're all in front of me as the only real source for the book. What do That's you think crazy. that did for my incomes? It's terrible. So I'm seeking a literary agent or some help in distributing the book in different stores and other resources. We're going to put them on other websites. There will be discounts so that the people doing that can make money off my book. That's what a publisher does normally, except that a publisher only gives the author 10%. And uh, I am my own publisher, so I'm going to be publisher and author and uh, offer discounts. There are some people I won't work with. 
like Simon and Schuster, some of these others that are criminal. But uh, I have been publishing for a very long time. My first book came out in 1971, and I've been producing books all along all these ways. I have no idea how many books I've got, but that's what Nick says in the foreword. I'm driven <laughs> to write. You know, that's what I do. That's, yeah. You know, trying, yeah. yeah. So. So. Um, My website. Yeah, it's richardallenmiller.com. And you can contact me there. There's a place there where you can write to me if you're interested in doing something more than just buying my book. I'll, I'll advertise it on Facebook. Facebook is creepy now. I'm not kidding. I've been in Facebook jail three times already, and my sister, who's just a really cool person, had her her site was hacked by someone that was born in 1960. My sister was born in 1948. Hmm. Weird. 1940, 1946, excuse me. So I, I have a question about the telepathy. Um, why does, why, how does telepathy work? Is that like some form of like quantum entanglement? I don't understand it. I have developed uh, uh, some equations on how to use it based on what I call psionic fields, and that's the field theory I'm going to write on how that works. But that doesn't mean it works like that. Right. It's just that's the way I've found access to making it be more efficient. And that book is ESP Induction Through Forms of Self-Hypnosis. There's an altered state of consciousness. When you go there, your ability and guessing increases 400 times over where you are right now. And I proved that when they brought Gene Dixon and Sybil Leake and a bunch of others in a big contest. And I won the contest using my system by four orders of magnitude. I can't believe it. I, I blew everyone away. They thought, you know, <laughs> and it isn't that I'm psychic. Everybody mm -hmm. is. We've been programmed over our course of education and so on to discount certain things as not being real. Why do you think that is? Do you think the government wants to keep us unaware of our true ability? No. Well, of course, there's... Any, any idea that you think, why, why is this happening? Including, we're in a Petri dish, and they've just created a new kind of human being. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good way of looking at what just happened. And uh, I can tell you that it's mostly fear. People are afraid of people that have psychic ability. They don't have control. And that's the problem. Control turns out to be a fantasy. Control, nobody has control. It doesn't work like that. You, you might think you do with power as the second enemy of man. You develop personal power. I'm quoting Castaneda now when he talks about the four enemies of man. You know, there's fear. And if you overcome fear, then you have personal power. Power starts to corrupt. And as you get older, you start to see things more clearly. Clarity becomes an enemy. And then, of course, the one I currently enjoy is old age. <laughs> yeah. How, like, at what point do we, do we, do you think it's possible for human beings to even know the truth of our own existence? 
the truth doesn't exist. It isn't. It's a concept, like Simon says, you can get halfway. Mm -hmm. You can get close, but by definition, truth is not knowable. That's why Castaneda, again, called knowledge was illusion, and wisdom was different. Now, there is a place on the tree of life where wisdom and knowledge are the same, but that's after Tippereth, or Christ consciousness, self-realization, mm -hmm. there is, on path 13, there is, middle pillar, there is Doth, D-A-A-T-H, the missing Sephiroth. You look at the tree of life, it's always that one, it's in a little dot, you know, it's yep. outlined as semi there and not. What that is, is a temporary place, metaphor, of coming to a raging river and without hesitation, I leaped out into the river, stepped on a stone underwater that you couldn't see, leaping over to the other side. I'm on that stone bravely for balance. I can't stay on that stone. That's what doth is as a metaphor. It's a temporary place where knowledge becomes wisdom. That's the only place on the tree of life that, that knowledge has any value. Knowledge is illusion, uh, and Tinagual is what he called it, reality, is that which cannot be known. You can experience God, but you can't know him. So then what's the point of uh, seeking knowledge? There you go. <laughs> you walked into that one. Right, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And that's why... You don't do it by seeking, you do it by going internal. That's what a monk will do. I watched this thing about Bruce Lee the other day, it was really cool, about his, uh, the Buddhist that came, a Shaolin master that came to San Francisco. And uh, I actually grew up with Bruce Lee, uh, we were in the same uh, Sangha, and uh, I, Remember, he was very fast. I was very fast. <laughs> there was this Fred Williams, big black panther, big afro. He, you know, if you could stay out of his way, you could wear him down. <laughs> but this Shaolin said, it's about your purpose and why you've chosen to be here. And each of us is different and have lessons to learn. What you want to do is not make the same mistake twice, right? <laughs> I don't like to make the same mistake again, you know, with women or whatever. That's called wounding in, in Jungian psychotherapy. You know, coming from a place of wounding or owie, that's where you create karma. What you're trying to do is find that line in the center of the road, like your sports car, where you're in the groove four by four, and you're into purpose where you're not creating karma. Karma occurs when you overreact and then have a wound as a metaphor. Yeah. And uh, owie. And now you're never going to do that again. And you go the opposite way, and so you're crashing your way through. Mm -hmm. And finding, what is it, the middle the way? The middle way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Negahuna. 
Tertia Morganum, yeah. I, you know, I'm pretty well read. I just, uh, I know I don't know. What I'm trying to do is approach it as a scientist so that I use that terminology in a form that is believable from your point of view that I'm remaining true to the sciences part of my communication in stating that physics, physics starts with assumed truths and definitions and that's where the limitations of it are. Mm -hmm. You know, space, for example, is it curved or is it, is it linear? You, you know, predicated on what you look at, the whole universe changes. That's why we went to information, you know, rather than space-time in our measurement systems. And now it's time for us to move to another level altogether, psionic fields. And that's what I'm writing about now, uh, mathematics with, with these Russians. Yeah. Jared, do you have any questions? Well, do you want to... <laughs> I'm sorry about that, Jared. <laughs> well, oh, no, no. I, think, I mean, the bionic field thing is exciting and it's worth talking about. I mean, I'm... Your voice, so where is, would you, your uh, voice is changing. To... Your voice, your voice. Yeah, yeah I'm... Uh, I'm in a bad spot. Uh, Gary, do you want to just, I guess if I had one more question, it would be to expand on uh, where do you think that's going to take us? I don't know. I'm excited with the possibilities of the moment. That's where it all really happens because you're along for the ride. You're not the one creating the ride. You are and you're not. It's like, um, Gosh, it's, it's, I can't conceptually quantize it. I can't container it. You know, it's like water. If you can put water in a glass, now you can do something with it, like drink it. Mm -hmm. But it's formless at this point, and you're kind of along for the ride, limited by your limitations. And what you're trying to do is integrate everything that I'm doing, everything you're doing, everything someone else is doing, and making it yours. And that's the distinction, by the way, between learning something and studying it. Like Tai Chi. Everybody does Tai Chi differently. And yet, they have Chi when they do it perfectly. And that was Steve Gaskins in a book he wrote Monday night class when he was teaching at Berkeley. I remember he walked in the classroom before he introduced himself. He later formed a thing called The Farm, by the way, out of Tennessee. But he wrote this book called Monday night class where he walked to the blackboard and he drew a circle on the board. And then he looked at the class of us. He said, it may not be a perfect circle, but it's a perfect whatever it is. That's true. That, that's, that's hilarious. Well, that's 1967, you know, I mean, uh, it's been a long journey for me, and I know I don't know, but I have what works for me as a metaphor in my mind's eye, and now I'm trying to change the movie. Gary, do you got anything? Uh, my mind is pretty much blown for today. Yeah. <laughs> next. <laughs> yeah. How do you put it next? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I, uh, 
I love what I do, and I love stimulating you to get excited in doing what you're going to do. And oh, then, Richard, I, I'm looking forward to having a lot more uh, phone calls with you off air. So I am looking forward to... You're always you, welcome you, to call me, Jared. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. You've laid so much railroad track. Yeah, yeah. For awesome. the mind and the, and the universe. For us, for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're all of us limited, and what we're trying to do as a species is evolve. And I feel like I'm David Copperfield with my empty bowl of cereal, you know, asking, can I have some more? Can I have some more, please? And, and I think that there's something, not necessarily human, trying to keep us down, like in a Petri dish, to mine gold as a metaphor, <laughs> you know, and that what happened is we exceeded their experiments and something more happened, and now we are unruly and have become God's favored. I don't know. Well, thank you, Richard. I know I know Gary's going to take over here in a second to close this up, but I want to thank you again on air, and I appreciate your time and your insights, and I'm excited about your new book. I'm looking forward to reading it. Yeah, be sure to send me uh, your addresses, and I'll be glad to send you review copies. Awesome. It'll be my pleasure, yeah. <laughs> well, for what you're doing in helping me promote my book, you know, thank you. Anytime. Always welcome here. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> no tongue. <laughs> no, 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 no tongue. tongue. <laughs> oh, no. I've got to keep my humor. That's what's making me young. If I get to get to go to Stockholm, my bucket list includes opening for Saturday Night Live. <laughs> oh, no, I, I'd love to. That'd be great. <laughs> like Rosina, Rosanna, Dan, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> So, again, before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you? What's the website? My website is richardallenmiller.com, A-L-A-N for Allen. richardallenmiller.com. All right. And I will post that in the notes of this episode. And uh, also, when the book comes out, definitely send me a link to that, too, and I'll post it on the website. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you again. It was an honor. And hang on for one moment, and I was going to play the outro. Are we good? Okay. Jared, uh, I will be talking to Fiona, I hope, on a Wednesday. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. I'll let Gary do the outro, then we can talk to him. He's also on Facebook. Remember everything that it says.